Yes. So dope. Like, y'all, we're ready to party. We don't need next week. Thank you, David. This is Christmas. It's a party. It's what it should be. And that is so legit. So I'm glad y'all are here. If you missed last week, we're going to go into week two of this idea of Christmas being a party, being a celebration, and what that means for us. And I want to jump right in. Y'all good with that? Can we jump right in? All right, like, you're, you're awake. We got, I mean, you're clearly awake, so let's just go after it. We're going to jump right in. I want to read something to y'all that has kind of formed a, a thought inside of me this Christmas season. And I want to share it with you, so let's all get our brain places ready to take this in, marinate on it. Hopefully it'll shape yours as well. It comes from a guy that I, I really admire. Uh, I think he's incredible. You should go listen to him and know it's not me, but you should listen to me of what I'm about to say. Let me read it to you. It says this, Christmas is the day heaven kissed earth. The, don't over-romanticize that. You're like, oh, the notebook. Mm, no, like heaven Heaven kissed earth. Christmas is the day heaven kissed earth. The eternal word, the golden son of heaven, that is Jesus, humbly and willingly took up our comparatively lowly humanity without ceasing to be God and entered into the created realm, coming to earth as one of us. And it wasn't some kind of circus stunt for mere show, but it was for our sake. The great move, Christmas, was all of grace and for our rescue. It is history's climactic expression of love and favor when heaven kissed earth. I I love that. I love the language of that. I love the image of that. I love the reality of that, that heaven kissed earth. And what it really says is that there's this reality of of Christmas that is, it's for our sake. Christmas happened for our sake. It wasn't for show. It wasn't for pomp and stance. It wasn't that Jesus wanted to be like, hey, I'm here. Y'all been waiting. Hey. No, he came as a lowly baby in a manger as insignificant as you could get. And he did it for your sake. Because Christmas points to, eventually, Good Friday. And then eventually points to Easter. And those things we celebrate in a few months where we celebrate the fact that Jesus lived this life, that he died as a ransom for us. And then when when he died and he ransomed us from death, he actually then defeated death and was raised to life. And now we have hope and now we have life because of Jesus. So Christmas should be a party. Christmas should be a celebration. How many of y'all like Christmas? All right, listen, bah humbug that didn't raise your hand. Let's try that again, Scrooge McDuck. Raise your hand. How many of you like Christmas? Right, because we're all children. It's just fun. I love Christmas. But the truth is, while it is a birthday celebration, we celebrate the birth of Christ, it's not like your average birthday party. This isn't cake and confetti and ice cream, okay? We're not, we're not playing kazoos and balloons. That's not what this is. This is a celebration of the reality that Christ came to earth to die for you out of love for you for your sake. It's why in Matthew 121 it says this. They'll put it up on the screen. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And so it's not like, "Mm, yay, Jesus is here. It's like, he's here. We've been waiting this whole time. Like, he's here. He's finally here. We have life. We don't have to be caught in death anymore. Jesus is finally here. This is the reality of Christmas. It's a celebration like no other. And for us to treat it like it's just any other holiday is a failure to fully understand the reality of Christmas. See, I would say it's, well, yes, uh, 
a, comb- a combining of two worlds when heaven kissed earth. It's more like an invasion. I'd say it this way. Christmas is humanity's D-Day. Jesus stormed the beaches of our world to break through the bunkers of our sin and liberate us from the war over our death. Picture it like that. That's not a seven-year-old's birthday party, and that ain't Santa. That's a spiritual warfare-filled moment when Jesus said, I'm going to cross the divide, and I'm going to go get them. They're all lost. I'm going to go save them, and I'm going to do it in a way that brings heaven with me to earth. I'm going to do it in a way that brings heaven to earth so that they can find this. So like we learned last week, whenever we bring on the reality of Christmas, whenever we live as Jesus shows us to live in this full life, it's actually about giving ourselves away. Because Jesus didn't show up, right? Like, dun, 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 here I am. He showed up like a little baby in a manger in an insignificant place to the point where they would make fun of him later on saying, oh, that guy from Nazareth? <laughs> Come on. That's like saying, like, oh, that guy in, like, East Bumble? No, not that dude. As insignificant as you could get. And yet he did it for the sake of you. And as a result of him going there and not coming in on a throne, what he did is he shows us how to live and that he took up a towel. And that he served people. He gave his life away. He loved on people. He valued people. He said, if the world calls you worthless, you need to know that I see you as priceless. And that if you feel like you're untouchable, I'm going to come give you a hug. And if you feel unlovable, guess what? I love you. See, he flipped the script on what we would think of of a king. Our king got off his throne in heaven and came down to earth to come get us. And so when we take Christmas into consideration in this way, and we start to live the way that Jesus teaches us to live, to follow him, to trust him, and to fully celebrate the life that he offers us, then we start to really understand what it means to follow him. We start to really understand the reality of Christmas when heaven came to earth. And Jesus actually touches on this when he teaches us how to pray. How many of you have ever prayed before? Hands? Okay. And even if it's like, Lord, please let the Braves win this year because I am just over it. Or maybe for me it's more like the Georgia Bulldogs because we suck. But it's cool. It's totally cool. Bama fans, shut your face. Shut your face. Stop it. It's just mean. When Jesus teaches us how to pray, in the book of Matthew, chapter 6, I'll put this one on the screen so you can read it. Book of Matthew, chapter 6, and verse 9, he teaches his disciples to pray in this way. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. How many of you heard this before? Finish it with me. Your kingdom come. Your on And if you're listening on the podcast, they all just said, on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. So you pray like this. You pray to God in heaven. You say, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, not mine. Your will be done, not mine. But let it be done on earth right here where we are amongst us in the exact same form, in the exact same fashion of how it is in heaven. Let heaven come to earth. And may we live on earth as it is in heaven. And I love that phrase, as it is in heaven. As it is in heaven. That could be like a tagline for our lives. We as a group, we should wear that as a slogan. So if you're a Christian, what does that mean? 
means that you live as someone that lives as it is in heaven. You live in the same fashion, the same form, the same way right here, right now, as it is in heaven. Now, let's have some fun with that. How many of you currently are living on earth as it is in heaven? You examine your life. You examine the way you live. How many of you are so heaven-minded, heaven-focused, that that is the way that you're living? Or are you living more like, well, I'm on earth. I'm in my time. I'm doing my thing. And I guess it's there one day. Let's have some fun with it. How many of you, when I say the word heaven, I want to know what picture comes to your mind. So think of heaven right now. Think of heaven. If I went around and got all the answers of what you just thought of, the picture in your head, it would be like the biggest mess ever. Because some of you are probably thinking like little chubby, fat, naked babies with, with wings and like bows and arrows. And maybe there's like, I don't know, like Titan standing at a gate, like just wearing a shawl of like a, ro- a white, ro- like a toga. You know what I mean? And it's all clouds and you're just floating everywhere. Maybe some of you are thinking about the description of heaven, that it's streets of gold. Like, man, I want to see a street of gold. I might just have to pick some out and take some for myself. You know what I mean? Like, I want to see what this is like. The question of, are dogs in heaven? Am I going to know the people that are, in, that are in heaven? Am I going to have the same body when I'm in heaven? Are we going to eat when we're in heaven? What's heaven really like? Is heaven just a church service? Like, it just goes on for eternity? Because I don't know that I want to be a part of that. Hey, I don't, I don't either. I don't either. Or is heaven like an adventure? Is heaven like a journey? Is heaven like something that fully encapsulates you? See, if I asked you what your view of heaven is, that may be a really good place to start because if you want to live on earth as it is in heaven, like Jesus tells us to live, then your view of heaven really matters. Whatever comes to mind when you think about heaven really matters in how you'd answer this question. So what I want us to do tonight is I want us to look at what heaven is. I want us to look at the description of heaven. It's found in Revelation 21. And what we're going to do is we're going to read the entire chapter. So go with me. And listen, it's totally fine because if you didn't read your Bible today, there you go. Check it off. We're reading the whole chapter, okay? So we're going to open to Revelation 21. If you don't know where that is, that is in the final, that's the final book of the Bible. So go to the back, turn one book or a few pages over. You're going to be in Revelation. Go to chapter 21. And for your sake, they're going to put it up on the screen because I'm going to read from my Bible, which is not the version under your chair. But if you want to follow along in a version under your chair, there's a Bible there with you. You can open that up. We're going to start in verse 1, Revelation 21, looking at what in the world heaven actually looks like according to the Bible. So let's dive in. Y'all with me? All right, let's go. Starting in Revelation 21, verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Now, in case you're wondering, this is John on an island, secluded, left for dead in a prison. And God comes to him, and Jesus gives him a full vision. The Spirit's taken up to see the vision of what heaven looks like. This is his description. And this isn't like some dream. He's fully awake, fully coherent, fully present, experiencing the reality of what heaven is. Verse 2, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Thank you, Jesus. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God, he, and God will be with them as their God. 
Verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, John, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And now would be a prudent place to stop and say, this doesn't mean that everyone who's ever lied is going to end up going to hell. This means that if you've told a thousand lies over a thousand lies and you're continued to be a liar, but you put your faith and your trust and your hope and your life in Jesus, you're not going to hell. You're going to heaven. You're going to be with him forever. He's your only hope, okay? So when you read that, don't think, oh, crap. I've done that and I've messed up. Doesn't matter. It's all Jesus. Now let's keep going in verse 9. Deep breath. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. A total new creation. The old has passed away and this is brand new. Verse 11. Having, having the glory of God, its radiance like the most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels, and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. God likes the number 12. Verse 15, And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and its width and its height are equal. He also measured its wall, 140 cubits by human measurement. You might ask me, how long is that? I have no idea. Let's keep going. Which is also an angel's measurement. Verse 18, the wall was built with jasper, while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, not barrios, the actual jewel. The sixth is something that you can go and read for yourself as well as the seventh and the eighth was beryl, the ninth was topaz, the tenth, I don't know what it's called, but it was pretty. The eleventh is the exact same thing and the twelfth was amethyst. I got that one. It's purple. It's my birthstone. Verse 21, and the 12 gates were 12 pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb, which is Jesus. And the city had no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And the gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring it into the glory and the honor of the nations, 
but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Thank you, Jesus, for the Lamb's book of life. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that this is where we will be for eternity if we trust in Jesus. All of eternity, that's what heaven looks like. Here as it is in heaven. Now, now that key to it. How in the world do we live here right now like that? What does it actually mean to do that? What's actually happening in heaven that Jesus, when he came to earth and while we celebrate Christmas, he's offering to us? What is that? What's actually happening? And I heard someone uh, kind of give a word on it that blew my mind. And I never, I've read Revelation 21 before until I heard this description of it from this guy. His, his name's Judah Smith. You might have heard of him. It's incredible. I want to share it with you. Like, you ever heard something so good, immediately you're just like, oh, I need to retweet that. Like, in person, I need to retweet that. That's how I felt when I heard this. So I'm going to do it actually in person and tell it to you, okay? And he talked about all those jewels. I just named 12, 15, however many of them. Those might be the most valuable, treasured things that we will ever find on this planet. They're the gems and the jewels that were made, that were beautiful, that are adorned, that are valued, that are treasured. And every single explanation that you see of these, there's one consistent thing that I always pass over the reality of. And I think if you could, if you could hear the gold preached to you, or the jasper preached to you, it would say this. I'm clear. How many of you ever seen gold that's clear? Gold's opaque. Gold's a solid metal. Jasper, all these colors. And the way that it describes these is that it's, trans, it's clear like transparent glass. You can see right through it. And he was saying that the, the, the meaning of that, the heaviness of that, the weight is that, is that the gold would say, you might think I'm treasure and I'm the greatest thing here and I'm the most valuable thing here. I'm nothing. Don't look at me. Look at Jesus. He's the treasure, not me. And so for all the descriptions of Jesus or all the descriptions of heaven that we might see and all the gems and all the emeralds and all the topaz and all the stuff I can't pronounce, all of it is screaming, don't focus on me, focus on Jesus. So you want to know what heaven is like? Heaven is focusing on Jesus. Heaven is being so fulfilled by the presence of God that everything else around you, nothing of it matters because everything around you is simply radiating and reflect, reflecting and refracting the actual glory of God. There's no sun, there's no moon, it's Jesus. So if you want to live on earth as it is in heaven, then the question is, what are you focusing on? Because all of heaven's focusing on Jesus. Where's your focus? What are you pursuing? Where's your treasure? What holds value to you? What are you singularly focusing on? Because if we want to live on earth as it is in heaven, if we want to celebrate Christmas for the reality of what it is, then we have to be singularly focused on Jesus and nothing else. Tim Chester says it this way. He says, some of us may need to flip around the way that we have conceived heaven. Rather than think that heaven is the place, like all other places, where God stays, where he lives, where he abides, we should think of it this way. Wherever the risen Christ is, that is heaven. That is why John's vision in Revelation has heaven coming here, heralded as, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. 
Jesus is now the one who makes heaven, heaven. He is the one who makes it good and beautiful and desirable. He is the one that we want. Until the reality of God's new creation overwhelms this old one, the way that heaven touches this world now is through his people, by his spirit, through his people, people like you and me. We are the conduits of heaven. Because when we have Jesus, we are experiencing the fullness and the reality of heaven. Because wherever the risen Christ is, that's where heaven is. And if you've trusted in Jesus and you've given your life to him and you're focused on him and you believe in him and you go after him and you surrender to him, then what's happening is it's actually the Holy Spirit. It's actually the risen Christ. It's Jesus living through you. And so people, when they come encounter when they encounter you, what they're doing is they're encountering heaven. So are you living like there's heaven on earth? Are you focused on Jesus? Are you coming to the reality that your righteousness does not come from anything of you? Or are you living in a way that thinks I have to do something to earn my righteousness? I have to do something to earn this ability to be in heaven. I have to do something to earn this love that God offers me. What are you focused on? Now, when we read this and we say this, I think one of the easy things to kind of take that into and think about is, well, if you're focused on Jesus, then what you're not focused on is sin. But really, while that's true, don't don't focus on sin, um, that's true, there's also something much more dangerous inside of that. Because one of the things that we can very easily be focused on in our Christian walk A lot of things that we can think, oh, well, this is what I need to give my focus and my attention to, are righteous, good things. I need to focus on self-discipline. I need to quit looking at porn, and I need, in my own way, to create safeguards and ways to not do that. So if my self-discipline was greater, I wouldn't fall to that temptation, and I would find a greater sense of holiness. Sounds like a righteous avenue. I need to focus on patience. I'm just an impatient kid. I need to focus on patience. I need to do away with the things I did when I was a child and start doing things like I'm an adult and grow up. So I need to focus on patience. I need to focus on being kinder because sometimes I'm just a jerk. Like no one would actually say that, but it's kind of true for some of you, okay? I need to focus on kindness. I need to focus on self-righteousness. I need to focus on discipline. I need to focus on gaining more of the fruits of the Spirit. Well, the problem with that entire model is that you're not understanding that it's a gift given to you. So you can go and think that I singularly need to focus on X, Y, or Z. But the truth is, when you focus on Jesus, he gives it all to you anyways. And there are nine of them. There's nine fruit of the Spirit. So you can focus on getting one, or you can focus on Jesus and get all nine. That's good math. I think I'll focus on Jesus. And so a lot of times we can be just as dangerously going after something that's not Jesus, not focused on him, and disguising it by thinking we're doing something righteous. But if your focus is on you performing better, and you doing better, and you working harder, and being more disciplined, and reading the Bible more, and praying more, and coming to church more, and being in a small group, and doing all these things that we would consider valuable and good, If those become your focus, then they become the source of your righteousness. And then that, by definition, is the law, which is the opposite of grace and leads to death. 
because you are saying, I need this and this and this and this and this to be righteous. And when I say righteous, what I mean is to be, to be reconnected and okay and reconciled with God. You're lost in your sin. And because you're lost in your sin, you need to do 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 to have righteousness. Well, that's called the Ten Commandments. And when Jesus came to earth, he didn't just come as someone who rode in on a, on a throne saying, I got this, let's go, keep doing your own thing, but I'll save you. And he also wasn't someone that said, all the stuff you were doing before those Ten Commandments, yeah, just forget those, just come follow me. He said, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. This thing you're doing, this focus you're giving to this law, you can never fulfill it, so guess what? I'm going to fulfill it for you. You trust in me, and you're going to have the fulfillment. And so now your righteousness doesn't come anywhere from what you do. It comes from looking and focusing and loving and living for Jesus. It's only in him. So if you want to live on earth as it is in heaven, you focus on Jesus. What are you focusing on? How are you living? Are you living on earth as it is in heaven? So see, some of you tonight, you came in this place and you've never focused on Jesus. You've been thinking that, man, if I just found that girl, or if I just got that girl, she's so smoking hot. If I just got her to like me, I would have everything I need. Or girls, if I, if I just had my husband... You laugh. That's real life. If I could just find him. Well, the problem is you're putting him in a lowercase h. What you need to start doing is putting him in a capital H. And that him is Jesus. I just, if you could just find him, you're right. You're right, boo-boo. You're going to have everything you need. And guys, it doesn't come, it doesn't come from a girl. Your confidence, your sufficiency, your value, your identity, your treasure comes from no one else. It doesn't come from a girl liking you. It doesn't come from getting a job. It doesn't come from being the strongest or being the baddest or looking the best. I don't freaking care. Neither should you. Jesus doesn't. It comes from him and him alone. Girls, it's never going to come from being a mom. It's never going to come from having a guy and being a wife. It's never going to come from having a job or being in ministry. It's never going to come from having friends and having health and people liking you. It's only going to come from Jesus. And then when you focus on Jesus, he gives you all those things. He says, you want treasure? You want gold? You want jasper? You want topaz? That's nothing for me. I'll give you all that. But it's not going to fulfill you. It's not your treasure. It's me. And so at Christmas, we think about Christmas and the reality of Christmas through that vein, through that light, through that filter. This is when Jesus came to earth and said, you can have life. You can have heaven right now. Heaven's not just a place that we wait for when we die and then everything's going to be all right because we're in heaven. You can experience heaven now through Jesus. And so some of you tonight, you've never actually trusted in Jesus and you've been seeking all those other things. And maybe for you tonight, the first thing you need to do is actually put your trust in Jesus. Say, Jesus, I, what this guy is saying, this bearded guy is saying, I don't, I don't even, like, this just hit me like a blind side, but, but something inside of me says, and I get that. Because every pursuit I've done in my entire life has never actually fulfilled me. Well, it's because you weren't made to be fulfilled by anything other than Jesus. So tonight, maybe what you need to do is you need to ask him to fulfill you. You need to ask for life. 
And if that's you, if you want to celebrate Christmas in that way this season tonight, afterwards, come and find me. That's why I'm here. If, if nothing else happened but one of you said that tonight, I'm like, that's, that's why I'm here. But I also know there are others of you that have already accepted Jesus. You would already say Jesus is your treasure. But maybe for you, your focus is just clouded. There's not a clarity in what you're focused on. You've been looking for the other stuff, or you've been trying really hard to do better. And you just got to, all right, Jesus, I'm going to look at you. I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to trust in you. And I would imagine there are a lot of you that are like that tonight. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask that y'all would close your eyes. Simon says, close your eyes. So everybody close your eyes. I don't know what it is that you've been focusing on when you came in here tonight. Maybe you're focused on school and academics. Maybe you're focused on a dream or a future. Maybe you're focused on righteous things. Maybe you're focused and you're not even aware of it on your sin. I don't know where you came in here tonight, but I know that whenever you, whenever you see striving to find your righteousness in anything you can do and you start striving to just pursue Jesus and find him and be fully fulfilled and satisfied in the sufficiency of who Jesus is, he gives you all those things. And so maybe tonight what you need to do is you need to kind of have a reset. And if that's you, I'm going to ask you to stand up. I'm going to ask you to be bold and courageous and say, you know what? Maybe I'm not focusing on Jesus. Maybe, maybe I'm missing this in some way. Maybe I'm actually thinking that I need a sense of holiness or I need to go pursue this. And you just need a reset and you want to focus on Jesus. I'm going to ask you to stand up. For the next 10 seconds, right where you are, just stand. There's no shame. There's no guilt. There's no judgment. If anything, this is your maturity. If anything, this is you growing up. This is you having faith. This is, this is confidence. Keep standing. There's a lot of y'all standing up. Keep standing. Keep standing up. Jesus, I just want to focus on you. Teach me and show me how to do that. I want to celebrate Christmas. <laughs> Not because of anything I can consume, but because of how much I can go after you. I want to live like you. I want to know what it's like to live on earth as it is in heaven. I don't want to think I have to pray enough to be loved by you. I don't want to think that i got to be baptized to be loved by you. I don't want to think that i got to do enough or be something to somebody or go into ministry, be able to pray or teach or help somebody. I just want you. Now here's what I want everyone to do. Look around. A, you're not alone. B, this is freaking awesome. Because imagine for a second what would happen if every single person standing up right now started living this way. Think about the impact. Think about the celebration. Think about the party that would happen because we would be so focused on Jesus that everybody else would be swept up in it and we'd be living like heaven on earth. That is what I think of as a party. So this gets me fired up because whenever you do this, you find your sufficiency in him. You start living like heaven on earth because you realize, Jesus, you're all I need. That's, that's the truth of grace. And if you live in any other way, you're slapping the work of Jesus in the face and saying you're not enough. And he is enough. 
And so we celebrate him. And so we worship him. Yeah, you can totally do that. So even what we talked about at the beginning, this is not a birthday party with confetti cake, even though it's delicious, and ice cream and, and, and cookies and gifts and wrapping and bows and slip and slides. It's not that kind of party. It's a party where we say, he's here. Thank you, God, you sinemies. Here we have Jesus. We have life. We have salvation. We have hope. I don't have to die because he's here. Thank you. That is Christmas. So if you've never had that before, it's time to flip the script and start focusing on him. He's all that you need. He's your sufficiency. He is your treasure. He is your value. Give your life to him. And if you've never done that before, if you're looking around like that dude just yelled at me, but I want that, come talk to me afterwards. That's why I'm here. But I have never in the seven years of ministry felt more inclined to worship than now. Right now, in this moment, the fact that heaven is here right now and that we get to worship with all of heaven, our Jesus who is with us, who came and lived a life that we never could, we could never live up, and he lived it for us, and then he died. He gave up his life willingly as a sacrifice, took the death that we deserve, actually was condemned in that way, became the curse for us, and then defeated death when we never could, so we had no hope, and now he becomes our hope. That's reason to worship like nothing else. So we're going to worship. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to worship. Y'all all right with that? Okay. I'm like, like hot, sweaty, like my ears are burning right now. I'm so fired up. So I'm going to pray for us, take a deep breath, and we're going to worship. So Jesus, thank you. With all that I have, thank you. And Father, my ask, my ask is that in the next few moments while we worship or over the next few hours while we go back into our life or over the next few weeks while we celebrate this season of Christmas, God, my ask is that you would make us exactly like those jewels in heaven. That you would allow us to see and to say that our value doesn't come from anything of who we are. May we be so clearly and singularly focused on Jesus, that when people look at us, he's all that they see. Jesus, you are our banner. We're here to make you famous, to make you known, to glorify you and not ourself. So as we worship you, Father, my ask is that in the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, you would allow us to worship you on earth as it is in heaven. Because the greatest party in all of eternity and all of creation is happening there right now. Gathered around you on the throne, risen and fully formed and fully glorified you, Jesus. So may we see that exact same thing happening in this moment and worship you with everything we have. So we give you our heart. We give you our our life. We give you our lungs. We give you our voice. We give you our time and our adoration. And we worship you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Amen.